number five of whatever you call it, the post mill project. I call it a post mill project. You, yeah. you have culture with Cody and Corey. Yeah, the culture with Cody and Corey podcast, or CCCP for the irony. Uh, this time I've since I titled them after Monty Python yes. references. It's only a model, so that it, that'll make sense. That's a, a deep bit. cut. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, so who are you? I'm Corey. I get to serve Beachwood Church as one of their elders, and I also host what is now just a podcast called the Corey Truax Show. Yes. Now that uh, his radio decided that they hate you. And yes, they and they hate talk you. radio. Right, right. And so all we need in this world is more Hillsong in yes. Bethel. <laughs> I'm just kidding. If you're affiliated with him, I'm just kidding. Yes. Uh, and so I am Cody. I am the owner of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. Also a deacon uh, at the location where we're recording this, which is Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. The thing that brings us together is that we are we came up in I think fairly different theological circles yes but have come to reformed theology yes. and, and our soteriology and a lot of our uh, let's call it uh, what do you call like the doctrine of worship like we're, we're regulative principle mm-hmm. that kind of yep. that kind of thing I don't know the exact term for that yeah um, and then recently coming to a new eschatology because I mm-hmm. grew up in the rapture world you didn't grow up yep. in the rapture world right um, I, I lived in the a millennialism world, and I'll admit to you on the Postmill Project, mm-hmm. I'm still tempted by it. There are times where I, some conversations I have where I go, I'm not Postmill, I'm Mill. Yeah. I just, uh, I get it's the. It's easier. It, it is. Um, and it, was RC Amil, Amillennial, RC Sproul? He was Postmill, but he didn't make a big stink about it. Okay. But the, the idea, Amillennialism, that we're just going to suffer, we're, uh, we're, sorry, we're going to suffer and win in cycles. Just cycles of wins and losses right. for everybody until Jesus finally comes back. But now we've both recently, at least fairly recently for me, within mm-hmm. less than a year have decided, no. Yeah. The kingdom's yeah. going to grow. Yeah. yeah. Jesus is reigning in a real, very real way right now. Where, how long have I been post-mill? About four years at this point? Hashtag that post-mill. Yeah, because I, I know I was at least post-mill during 2020. Right, you said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The worst and, time ever to become post-mill. Right. Or, or the best. Or um, as Fosky is calling it now, is it fancy Amil? Fancy, dude, that dude is funny. Yeah. If you don't yeah. uh, traffic in whatever his first name is, Keith, maybe. Yes. Keith Fosky on YouTube, dude is funny. Yes, his uh, denominational meetings uh, where he's got the uh, the very gay United Methodist. Yes. You've got the Presbyterian who always has a cigar in hand and, and has a sweater superior, vest and a and a sweater vest uh, with superior, superior theology. theology. You've got the uh, big Eva guy. You've got the typical Pentecostal guy. It's fantastic. fantastic. And the Lutheran who always, always has always has a beer. Always has a beer. And I do love that he he lets all of his bigness roll out for the Baptist, Southern Baptists. Yeah. Like when yep. he's going to when he's going to caricature a Southern Baptist, that person's just very fat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> that's our if that's our stereotype. Yeah. Cheers to it. Yes. So uh, so basically, our project here is. Where are we going? What are steps that we're trying to take yes. with with this whole post mill? And and we would add a layer to that of theonomic because you don't have to be theonomic to be post mill. Of the general equity of the law of God should be applied in society today, and I think we can back that up scripturally. So that's our assumption. Yeah, we're not going to exegete that every time. Yeah, but well, real quick. So you, there are post mill people who are not theonomy people. Yes. Who would be more along the lines of natural law, mm. uh, maybe even leaning toward Thomism, stuff like that. Okay. Uh, whereas we would it. we would lean more toward in that debate, we would lean more toward the biblicist yeah. uh, side of the debate. Though, I mean, obviously, we recognize the authority of the creeds and confessions yeah. and, and okay. stuff like that. 
So, but yeah, you don't have to be theonomic to be post-millennial. And apparently, I think it's very inconsistent, but you don't technically have to be post-millennial to be theonomic. You could, no, I could definitely see that being You the could case. technically be a historic pre-mill and be a theonomist. He right? wants to, to say, we want to pursue right. God's justice, God's right. thinking, and everything. Right. Yeah. It's just whether you expect that to be accomplished or not. Yes. So, uh, so I guess in terms of... Uh, Jumping into the proper discussion now that we've exhausted our introduction, uh, you brought up on your podcast, uh, I guess about six weeks ago. It was like almost two months ago, yeah. Um, in the post-millennial world, we often talk big picture. Mm-hmm. We want uh, to do these particular things with government. We want to do these particular things with culture. We want to do these particular things in society as a whole. And most of those things won't happen for like 700 years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can we do now? And, and that honestly, and I think you bring up a good point. We don't bring up the, the, the baby steps that we should be taking now. If I, can, if I can just tell you my own experience, I got very yeah. frustrated. Yeah. Because the, the, really the person I am most learning from here are the guys at Canon Press, the yep. various people. But Doug Wilson has been big. And I'll just admit my own personal distaste for him. Mm-hmm. I don't, he's, not, he's not my style. I don't really like sure. the guy. But he's obviously really smart, has right. been thinking about this, it seems like, for decades. I don't know how long yeah. he's been post-mill, but it seems like he's decades in. I, 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 I seem to recall him saying since the 80s. My goodness. So, so longer than we've been alive. And so I, I want to learn from him. But here, I, I wish I could get into a room with him to say this. My, I will be in a room with him next month. Fight, laugh. Feast. Feast? Yes. Where's that? Uh, this one is at the Ark Encounter, actually. Up in Kentucky. Yep. What I want to say is, there, I think the thing that you've done there in Moscow, Idaho, has affected how you communicate. Sure. Because it's super cloistered. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's a lot, but I just wonder, how many unbelievers have you been around lately? Mm-hmm. Be- because the way that you speak comes as... One with a ton of assumptions. The people I'm talking to are way down the road of spiritual maturity. Almost it feels like the people that you're talking to, do you understand they have jobs in the secular world and they're going to go to work on Monday? Because mm-hmm. some of the stuff you say sounds insane. One of one of the interesting things about Moscow, Idaho, is that the city itself is actually very blue. Yes, in because the of the, of the, red the universities there. Right. And so I thought about that. What a interesting, what an interesting place to be saying fairly radical things in the moment around a bunch of secular high-end academics. Right. But do right. you you also know, we're, we're, even where we live, we can cloister ourselves very easily. That's true. Into That's our, true. our subgroups. And so I got frustrated with some of the things he would say about how things should be. Mm-hmm. And, and just kind of assert them, not make great arguments. And then sure. and recognize, hold on a second, I got people in my church who are going to go to work with normal people. And... That, that thing you just said will put them so far outside of respectability and normalcy, I don't even know how to how, how I can make that conversation effective. Right. I think I think it kind of depends on which post-mill guy you're talking about. Like, Joe Boot has a certain audience. Wilson has a certain audience. Durbin and White have certain audiences. And so I think with, particularly because Wilson produces so much content. It's endless. It, it's I, I'm not quite convinced that he's a real human he might actually be a <laughs> robot with how much he churns out yeah he's prolific right and so i think i think we have to allow certain guys to assume their arguments sometimes not all the time 
Uh, I know you called him out on one in particular. I don't recall the argument that he made, but you said you didn't actually make this argument. And sometimes we do need to assume the argument to make a different point. If we, because we we think we know our audience, right? You know who I've I have found. I don't even know if he's post mill, but the guy who has been most effective to me, theonomy wise, has been Vodibakum. Yeah, he seems to assume nothing. He teaches me things every time, right? And then helps me talk about it, right? Because just if I'm sending my, my my a church sending believers out of the world, and I, I just did a weekend of just telling you, uh, all you have your kids in public schools are putting them in a pagan system. We got to shut down the public schools. All right, man, you skip some steps. Yeah. I got to have a conversation with real right. people, right? And so I got frustrated with it, which led me to, what do we? What do you actually want me to do besides just yeah. say these things, right? Because there, and there's an important point. I mean, I think my, my elder brother made a great point. Well, step one is always just say the right thing. The, the step one is always say what is true. Yeah. And now how we go about it will be a second. This is baseline live not by lies. Yes. Great, great, a great podcast, by the way, from John Mark Comer called that, but that's based on a, a whole other discipline, live not by lies. Yep. And so that's where I got frustrated going, I don't even know where to start. You've, you convinced me and now I don't even know what you want me to do, which, <laughs> which yeah. I think you heard and then thought about some things. Yes. And so... I think what one of the things that we need to do, the right, I don't like calling myself the right because I'm not right wing, I'm conservative. Yeah. There is a difference. There is, yeah. Uh, for those not in the know, the whole left wing, right wing thing started in the fringe revolution where those on the left wing of their legislative body parliament, I don't remember what they called them, uh, but those were the guys who were ready to burn the whole thing down right now and start over. Yeah. The guys on the right wing wanted to burn it all down more slowly. Yes. So that is what you're talking about. And I think that's what we're actually seeing playing out mm-hmm. right now is the right right wing populism is yeah, let's burn it down a little more slowly. Yes. Let's let's go off the cliff at fifty miles an hour instead of a hundred miles, miles an hour. hour. Yeah. Uh so in terms of conservatives, we have not done a good job at thinking locally politically. Yeah. The left has done an excellent job you're at right. that, which is why you have George Soros funded DAs. Yeah. The way to get around George Soros funded DAs is to have conservative DAs. Yeah. How about that? You know, mm-hmm. things like district attorneys, uh, sheriffs, those really matter, like, such as uh, with the New Mexico governor and her tyrannical yes. executive order banning the, just willy nilly, banning the public. Uh, Possession and carrying of a firearm mm-hmm. within is it Albuquerque it or be two counties that, ultimately? Okay, okay. Um, but the sheriff said no. We're not enforcing that. Amen. Uh, so sheriffs and school boards, even though I would advocate for the elimination of public schools in the long run, which will probably be in seven hundred years. Yeah. Uh, but school boards and fire districts and all of those kinds of things. Well, why don't we start there? We should. Like those are pretty easily winnable if, if we're being honest oh yeah i mean i think of my my city easily is about to have a mayoral race in seven weeks something like that mm-hmm. there are if i recall it's just under a hundred thousand eligible voters in the city mm-hmm. the winner of that race will have about 3,500 votes yep that's that small that is not difficult to attain no, your your voter turnout rates for local races because we so federalized everything we yep. decided the president was a dictator and that's where everyone shows up yep your local races have turnout rates of eight and nine percent, mm-hmm. if if that. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but like there was even a thought for me back in the summer. You know, it probably wouldn't be hard for me to be mayor of Easley. 
Mm-hmm. I only need that few people. Yep. I mean, I'm talking a a twenty thousand dollar loan mm-hmm. of materials and some online marketing. Twenty grand could probably make me mayor of Easley. It, yep. it is that simple yep. for a lot of these places. Yep, and and even think even smaller than that, like a city council or a county council seat. Even smaller. Yeah. Even even smaller to be to have a legitimate voice in local government. My Easley ward that I just moved out of, I, I moved houses. Mm-hmm. The last time she had an opponent, she won her race with I think it was eight hundred and ninety one votes. So wow. Less than a thousand, fewer than a thousand people. Yeah. For, and I think it ended up being fewer than it. It might have been 1,500 people that voted total. Right. Super small right. Um, uh, groups here. Yeah, and even the, the the guy that I just got a phone call from before we, we started, started recording, uh, my lawyer, uh, <laughs> he had a story for me, uh, but he was previously the uh, Union County probate judge here in South Carolina. Hmm. So that that's an elected office for them. And he ran his campaign. I don't remember how many votes he had to get, but it wasn't many. No. Uh, one, it's Union County. It's a very rural county yep. here. Uh, and two, it's a local election that not many people care about. No. Yeah. The, uh, the A lot of those even happen, for example, and easily, Union. They happen in off years. So not mm-hmm. during a presidential and not during a midterm. Right. So they're on a odd year, a 21, a 23, a 25. Which makes it even less turnout, yeah. There are few people, very people turning up, ter- yeah. turning out. I actually realized, uh, I used to say often, I have, since I've been, uh, even before I was 18, because the way it worked in South Carolina, you can vote in a primary when you're 17 as long as you would be 18 by pro- by election day, general election. Okay. So the first vote I ever cast was for Jim DeMint over David Beasley. Oh, wow, yeah. For the Senate race going yep. into 2004. And I wasn't yep. quite 18, and I said, I haven't missed voting in an election since then. Then I started looking back at local elections. I miss some elections. Yeah, yeah. I miss some judge elections. I miss some city council things. Yeah. I, I miss some stuff because I wasn't paying attention. Right. So in terms of, all right, so we've got local things. And then in terms of uh, maybe state and then federal, one thing that we want to do too often is is we only shoot for the moon ever. Yes. Right. And, yeah. At least in terms of political promises. I even think back to. Now, of course, this was very popular at the time among conservatives, but when Ronald Reagan ran, part of his platform was eliminating the Department of Education. I recall. Which, that's not going to happen right now. Nope. At least in the short term. Maybe we can start cutting back some of its funding, stuff like that. But one thing that Wilson has suggested is you find the Department of... He named it. I can't remember which one. It was was something silly. Yes. And you make an example out of that tiny little department that no one cares about. It only affects a few jobs, but you can say we have a win here. And you use that momentum to gradually do other things. It's, yeah. it's kind of the incremental approach. Yeah. As it, it, which, you know, is, is kind of a, a raging debate in certain circles of the pro-life movement mm-hmm. of, are we abolitionists? Are we incrementalists? Uh, obviously the incrementalists want abolition. How soon do you do it? How soon is it politically feasible? You know, and, and tactically feasible even, because if if we pass this, are we going to lose the election in a landslide next time and then immediately have worse legislation than we have before? I appreciate being you saying it out loud, because there seems to be some people who have no interest in thinking that way. Right. Their interest is just, no, I won't I want what I want. All right, well, if we give you what you want right now, you won't you won't get what you want. You won't keep it for a hundred years. Right. We'll give it to you for two and you will lose it for a hundred. I don't care, do what I want. 
All right. Yeah. Well, I, I need you to grow up. I particularly think of Matt Gates and the current <sighs> Speaker of the House yeah, stuff yeah. going on uh, with the budget and all of that, where yeah. basically Matt Gates and that caucus, their entire tactic is just run as fast as you can into a wall repeatedly. Yes. <laughs> that's their whole strategy. <laughs> that, and, and that's... It's mind-boggling because it's you're not going to get anything done this way. This is the... I'll give you an incremental example at the federal level if we really wanted to try to start making some kind of difference. Yeah. Instead of, I want giant cuts right now to all these things or mm-hmm. we'll shut everything down. Demand of your opponents, 1%. I just want 1%. Mm-hmm. You, if you're telling me you can't find 1% to cut the entire federal budget, you are obviously the unreasonable one. You are the one that's outside yeah. the mainstream. And if I get that 1%, you know what I'll have is a bunch of other years where I can ask for just 1%. Yep. Instead, and I, in 100 years, you get 100%. <laughs> you know, if that's you do, how math works, right? If you cut 1% of the budget for the next 20 years, you actually you balance it. Mm. You, you, Rand Paul puts this number out every year. What, what would re- require to balance the budget in 20 years? And it really is a 1% cut every year. Yeah. We don't think in terms of 20 years, though. No. You know who does think in terms of 20 years? The Chinese Communist Party. They have a 100-year plan. Yeah, they literally have a 100-year plan where we, we can't think four months down the road. Even for, for the feds who have a, have a real role. I did that on my show recently. The feds have a role. Mm-hmm. They're in the Constitution. You may hate right. it, but Constitution of the United States says the federal government has a role. Yes. You may want to start rolling that back, but they do. One of the roles is that they can borrow money. Most of our states run balanced budgets mm-hmm. because the money they would otherwise borrow just come from the feds and the feds gave it to them. South right. Carolina runs a, a surplus in part because of a lot of our welfare system. It just comes from the feds. Right. We're a taker state. But those, those would be one... For, here's just one example. We apparently have two organizations that... Uh, this is absurd. One of our Department of Natural Resources offices oversees trout that swim upstream and managing their population. A different office oversees trout that are downstream. It's trout. Is, is this from uh, Rand Paul's uh, annual Festivus airing of grievances? Yes, but it's in there every year. That, that still exists. There yeah. are two different departments. They do other things, by the way. They're not just the trout department. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things they do. I wonder if you could just, I don't know, combine those suckers. Right. And let's, let's save, a, save a million dollars that year. Like, and, but what we do say there then to the, the states, Montana, Dakotas, who have a lot of that, hey, guys, we're not going to do it anymore. You have to. Right. The feds aren't going to do it. We're going to return that back to you guys. You guys figure it out. And maybe figure out a way to privatize it and make it better. Even better than having the government do because, it. Because, you know, again, it's good enough for government work. It exists for a reason. This is one of our biggest challenges at the macro. Like, I love where you started. Right. The micro. Our, one of our biggest challenges at the macro is the federal government has become po- so per- pervasive for 100 years. The American imagination is so small. Yes. Anytime we come to any problem, no one has even thought, I wonder what families could do. Mm. I wonder what my mayor could do. Yep. I wonder what my community could do. The, the immediate thought is, what could the president of the United States do? Yep. Oh, uh, well, I guess Congress too. Maybe we should ask, ask the Congress what they could do. Wait, are you, you have a problem in Lincoln, Nebraska, and your first mm. question was, what can someone in D.C. do? I even have uh, an actionable step for those who are local is here in Greer, they installed this just abomination of a trash can it's supposed to look like a fox huh and it is putrid huh i gotta see this thing it is objectively ugly in the park you know what you can do is you can harass your city officials until they remove the thing 
You can. It's their, they're public servants. Just keep complaining and threaten to primary or whatever it is with yeah. city council. I'm not in the Greer city limits, so I don't vote there, so I don't know exactly the entire process. But just badger them until they get rid of the thing. You have a win. You do. That's local governance. And and on top of that, it helps re-beautify that space that doesn't have the ugly trash can anymore. What it also does is if you build that... If you build the culture of localism, even out of your church, call mm-hmm. maybe even as in the preaching and the discipleship, saying some of you are called to be doctors, some of you are called to yep. be uh, to, to to work in the school in the school system. I still think that's true, even though I'm I'm hearing from all my post mill people we're supposed to shut down all the schools. All right, well in the meantime, wouldn't it be cool to have some Christian teachers in there? Yeah. Un- until we we get past that, but some of you are called to be local officials, yep. and if you do that. Then, if you finally a hundred years from now get to some of the things you want in weakening the federal system, mm-hmm. you're ready. Yep. What would happen right now if the federal system collapsed? Are our local governments strong enough to do the things we need them to Not do? Not at all. Not really, Not because at we've all. all been obsessed with DC. Right. So we got to build like you had that hundred year plan for Greer. Yep. Just having that yep. kind of vision for your localism. Now, here's here's a macro idea that I think we should start making noise for is, and I don't have everything completely fleshed out, but a const a federal constitutional amendment restricting the amount of days that Congress can be in session. Love that. Where maybe you say, all right, 90 days. You have 90 days a year that you can be in session. Now, you can make provisions for emergency things, sure. war, terrorist attacks, that kind of thing. Your committees can meet outside those 90 days? Right. But actual session. Yes, actual session... 90, maybe be generous, say 100 days, 100 days out of the year. But one of our issues that we have, and everybody knows this and everybody talks about this, is how out of touch so many of our representatives are. Yeah. Because they they don't live in their home states anymore. Right. They actually live full-time in, in Washington, D.C., especially senators who are there on six-year terms. Yes. So if you want Lindsey Graham to be more in touch with the things going on in South Carolina, make him live in South Carolina. Yes. As opposed to in D.C., well, one of the great ways to do that is we're only going to be in session this long mm-hmm. or for this many days in a year. We you ha- can you can parse those out through the year. You can have it all at once. But what, we're, what we are doing is saying, no, you are a representative of that state. Go hang out there. You know those people live that life. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Texas legislature meets every other year for five months. Mm. So, you know, okay. there's an entire calendar year goes by. No one goes to Austin. Right. The entire government stays at home. Yeah. The next year, they show up in January, and they meet till sometime in May. Mm. The South Carolina legislature meets from the second week of January. Technically, it's supposed to be the first week of June. There's okay. usually a special session in July where you look at the government, the governor's vetoes and all that. Okay. We are we don't need that much government. Right. You don't need to be... You right. guys could do what, you, what you're going to do in 90 to 100 days. And by the way, that does only mean sessions, because like in South Carolina... Our legislature meets those months, January through the beginning of June, the technically Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of the week, but Monday, wall-to-wall committees. They're not in session, but the committees do their work on Monday before Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday come. So yeah, just having them meet less so they can be with normal humans. Yes. And hey, how about you go get a job? (laughs) And maybe maybe that's something that we do too is massively cut their pay. Mm Mm-hmm to reflect the fact that they're only going to be in session that amount of time. Yes. So that they're not reliant on that particular salary to make their to make their living, which then conceivably, and I'm literally just thinking out loud right now, that could cut down on the 
Nancy Pelosi's and Joe Biden's of the world who have enriched themselves off of their positions. Yeah. Um, it's also ter- term limits would be huge, but that's again, a long, long, long way. Yes. That, that requires a constitutional amendment. But we can start making noise about restricting the amount of days they're in session. Yeah. We can start making noise now. At least those are some things that help. I mean, the, the federal, the federal government I've started to see is kind of just a gigantic monster. Yeah. Gigantic monsters don't fall in a day. Right. They usually don't fall in a lifetime. And I'm not even saying I want it to fall. I just and, want it and to... And you're not David, so... Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, love a Matt, I love a Matt Chandler reference. There, and I don't, I'm not even saying I want the federal government to fall. Just right. want it to do what it was supposed to do. Yes. And the states to do what they were supposed to right. do. We don't, we, we're conservatives. We don't want to just tear down the institutions. No. We're not, we're not populists. The, the sh- that's a long road. And so I, as post-mill people, I just want to talk about it with that kind of humility. Yes. Take whatever small steps you can, and some of the grandiose, big pronouncements about what should be. I guess we need to make them. Yeah, make your big grand pronouncements. Yep. But let's temper those big grand pronouncements about what should and shouldn't be with some practical steps on how you might just yeah. start. Yeah. Because this grand pronouncement will happen in three hundred years. Yeah. So, you will not see it in your lifetime. What you and I begin will be finished by generations that I probably don't know that have been born yet. Right. And even. If we take steps one, step one, it might not be step two that gets accomplished until my two, not my, not my biological boys, but two boys that I had a role in raising, mm-hmm. might be their grandkids. Right. And for, I, I need post-mill people to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Lord's got his timing. He's going to do what he's yep. going to do. Don't try to rush it. Just be faithful. Which I think leads me to one of my topics I had for you. Yes. Unless you have anything else you no, want to say Oh, that's a great that. transition. Go ahead. I got comfortable over the last, let's go from 2015 until in the last year. So from 2015 to 2022, very much embraced the concept of exile. Mm-hmm. I, I taught on the show. I did on Dr. Beam show on WHRT, that Jeremiah 29 passage. Like you're, we, we are God's people. That, that was the Jews, but I thought, you know, I, I'm God's people taken away into exile. Mm-hmm. Christians in exile in America or Brazil or Germany or Australia, wherever they are, what do you want me to do? And Jeremiah just says, give your sons and daughters in marriage, build houses, Mm -hmm. plant gardens, do not decrease there, work for the welfare of your city, pray for your city. That's what you should do. And I I embraced exile. And then Peter even tells me in 1 Peter, that's what I am. I'm an exile in a land waiting for a city not built with hands. Not built with hands. And so I have my exile motif. I, I think I understand what it means to be a Christian in the world. Then I start learning about post-millennialism. And I'm not saying the two things are irreconcilable. I'm saying I'm having trouble reconciling mm. them. So I can be corrected. I can be taught. I'm just saying I'm having trouble. Because an exile feeling is things are going to be fine sometimes. Things I'm, sometimes things are not going to be fine. But finally, I'll be taken out of exile. I'll get to go home. Right. Post-millennialism doesn't feel that way. Post-mill feels like, I don't know if I'm in exile or not. I might already be home. We just need to go conquer. We, right. we need to go triumph over this. Right. And so I don't know how, you can reconcile those things for me, but am I in exile or am I a conqueror? Yes. That's right. I'm, and, I'm, I'm, and your answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so in terms of conqueror, uh, I mean, the only real, that I'm aware of or that I remember right now, the only time that term is applied to the Christian at the moment in the New Testament is Romans 8. More if I recall correctly, yeah. more than conquerors. 
Uh, but in terms of how I view things, it's, well, Jesus already conquered. Okay. So uh, to go back to Daniel, Daniel 2, uh, with that vision of the statue at the head of gold, goes on down to the feet of uh, mixed iron and clay, right? And a stone not cut by human hands smashes that statue mm-hmm. and then grows until it fills the world. The tree grows from out of that, yeah. Right. And so um, you, you do have Jesus has conquered. Uh, and then I think with the, with the exile language, I think we have to be careful to um, keep, keep certain things in their context, right? So 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, and it lists a bunch of places in the Middle Eastern world. Uh, so he's writing to particular people. Now, of course, that has application to us in some sense, right? But we have to remember, Peter wrote that to people even before the Council of Nicaea, hmm. right? So, And even before the, the downfall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And so Christianity, one, hadn't exploded yet, Two, it hadn't even been decriminalized yet by Constantine, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, I think we do have an application now where we've had a re-paganized culture for the last several decades, and now they're just running with it. Uh, and as you addressed uh, on your own podcast, even on the right side, we've re-paganized with, with the shenanigans yeah. uh, by Christy Nome, Lauren Boebert, etc. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, we can feel that exile-ness, and you know, Christians in North Korea are going to feel that mm-hmm. more. Christians in Mongolia, where they're more pagan and socialist, or India, or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, like, if, if a Christian in, let's say, uh, 17th century England is living faithfully, I think he's going to feel less exiled, because the mm. culture is so Christian. Now, there's going to be certain portions of his life where he's like, yeah, this this isn't quite right because it's not quite right yeah, yet. Yeah. Okay, so that... I can... Now that you start talking, I, I could start to start to see both. Yeah, I, I'm not... That I'm not home yet. I am waiting for a city built with hands. Not built with hands. Mm-hmm. And, not but, and while I await that... I want to see my city Christianized yeah. and believe it can be. Right. So I'll feel like less of an exile. Yes. And, and I would even point to, uh, Peter says, you know, we are a chosen nation, right? A royal priesthood. And so when that chosen nation meets on the Lord's Day, you don't feel like an exile in the midst of that chosen nation. I do not. Yeah. Right? And so if you have that chosen nation permeating the physical nation, you're going to feel less like an exile there, just out of out of the circumstance, right? Where if, if those values and, and our people, our truest people, right, just exist yeah. <laughs> in, in large numbers, then you're going to feel that way. I think because it shaped me, uh, 2015-16 shaped me a great deal in how I think about governments mm. because the... The word apocalypse really just means the unveiling. So the the apocalypse of Trumpism, the the unveiling, the revealing of really what what I was a part of and mm-hmm. associated with. It, it had me embracing exile, and I, I remember right. one of my uh, my phrases at the times: "Is pagans going to pagan?" 
Yep. The, the pagans are just going to act like pagans. And, and that is true. And we are saying, yeah, pagans are going to pagan, but maybe there will be fewer pagans. Right. Right. And, and, and you actually see that uh, through history, um, even as early as Athanasius in, in his uh, book on the incarnation. At the very end, he talks about idolatry is decreasing in the world right now, just straight up mm. because of the spread of the kingdom. And you honestly see that through the Middle Ages, through colonial times, for the most part, with sure. obvious uh, exceptions. Obvious exceptions. And so, I, honestly, I think it's really the 1800s-ish when you start to see the real decline with uh, restorationism, with all the cults that started in the yeah. 1800s and that kind of thing. And, and what you could call, and there's a great book on this, about the democratization of religion in America, hmm. where we've basically boiled it down. It's, it's, it's honestly the Enlightenment applied to the individualism of the Enlightenment yep. applied to theology. So as soon as you started talking, I, I had in my head just ringing, Enlightenment, Individualism, Enlightenment, Individualism, yep. Enlightenment, Individualism. That's what comes past the 1800s, because we're going to say the Enlightenment, let's say, launches in the 1750s. Mm-hmm. That intellectual, and, and things couldn't spread as fast, right? There right. Was, you know, all we had was a printing press. 50 years later, it was at a permeated culture, where mm-hmm. all of life is individualized. Yes. I will choose what the re- what the religion is. I will choose what to believe. Solo scriptura has turned into what we, we often call solo scriptura yeah. of me and my Bible, and you can't yeah, tell, tell me what to do. Yeah, and that's just so so dangerous. But that's yeah. I, I love I love the Enlightenment. I love that we're children of it. It had its deleterious side effects, mm. and now we have reached the terminus of Enlightenment. Yes, where my individual individualism is such. That no one can tell me anything, including my genetics. My genetics yeah. <laughs> can't tell me what, right. what to be. I will be my own God. Yes. But that was the, I hate to say it, it was the natural terminus of individualism. Yes. Especially if it's not going to be tempered if biblical thinking. individual freedom, because I think freedom and liberty are distinct. Yeah. If individual freedom is the only thing that matters, then what you get is transgenderism. Yes. Uh, whereas if we're talking about ordered liberty, liberty within a set of confines, so whether you want to talk about liberty as defined by God's law, natural law, whatever, like look at the regulative principle of worship, mm-hmm. and that is the most freeing way to approach the worship of the triune God Amen. imaginable because you don't have to invent new ways to worship God. Yep. If you have ordered liberty, you don't have to invent new ways to be free. You're free within those confines. Now go do free things. Yeah, I've, I find that in all the leadership positions I've taken, people who are not leaders, which is the majority, majority right. of people aren't leaders, right. are miserable without boundaries. Yes. They, they will even act out, children will often do this, to get you to give them some. They right. want yeah, to absolutely. know, what am I supposed to be doing? Someone tell me what to do. What are the parameters of XYZ, this, the, this project, this... Well, life, yes, <laughs> or That's whatever. Ordered liberty. Yeah. Oh yeah, let me walk in the freedom that I'm gonna. I'm going to give you the parameters, and if you'll walk in these parameters, you'll be so free, mm-hmm. or you'll have liberty. Okay, then if I've reconciled exile with, I, I think the word, I have the word triumph or conquerors, but let's just say exile with being post millennial. Mm-hmm. I'm often looking for biblical analogies. Like, what can I tell yeah. people to look to? Because for seven years, I taught, well, think about Daniel and think about that, that 
passage in Jeremiah, that's you. Mm-hmm. You're in exile. Okay? Well, that's not quite right. Is our analogy Moses and Joshua wandering in the wilderness with the, la- the language of conquer the land? And then conquer the land is, what, what is the land? The things that we've previously done in other, other episodes. Conquer the arts. Conquer education. Conquer government. Conquer media. Go conquer. I think, I think the analogy mostly holds up. Uh, we've had generations of unfaithful believers, right? And what did the unfaithfulness result in was... You did not inherit the land. You're not going to inherit the land. Uh, at the same time, I think the difference is, and, and I think you would agree with me, it's it's not so much that Israel conquered the promised land, it's more so that God gave it to them. Amen, yeah. Um, and it can be both and, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but as, as Jesus said, I think it's in Mark, maybe it's in Luke, he said, fear not, little flock, this is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeah. So we don't go and, and take it, that, that's actually pagan thought. Uh, so make America great again is actually pagan. Agreed. Uh, it's it's more so. It's it's not even make America godly again. It's God. Can you sanctify us? <laughs> right. So ultimately, this is overly simplistic, but uh, postmillennialism is simply Calvinism applied to society, hmm. where God wait, wait, is wait. sovereign. Say, the, say it one more time. Yeah. So Calvinism. Po- postmillennialism. Is Calvinism applied to society? Right. It's Expound. applied to groups. Okay. Uh, as opposed to just individuals. Yes, God saves people individually. One oh, by one, I see. I right? see. I see. But God, in His grace, saves people unilaterally and He sanctifies them unilaterally and He glorifies them unilaterally. So it's entirely possible for God to do that individually to a lot of people whether it's at one time or through generations or what have you, in one place. In that case, are is the Christian church sometimes used the way Israel was used? I, I give the analogy here. Not the analogy, I guess the example. I'm almost positive that somewhere near the beginning of God calling Abraham, he says, I'm going to give you this land, and you will be taken from it. You're going to be removed from this land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when the fullness of sin, basically the fullness of depravity has happened in this land, right. I'm going to bring you back and you're going to judge the, the, the evil in this land that belongs, that belongs to you. Are, are we saying that paganism, Satanism can become so prominent in a land that God will just use the church yeah. to punish yeah, yeah, yeah. paganism in that land and by and it's it's by taking over, right? I don't know if I believe that or not. I'm just tossing it out there. I, well, I think maybe the way I would think about it is we've we've paganized so much that you're starting to see the rubber bands snap back a little bit. Uh, there are fewer people this year than last year who are accepting of same sex relationships. For instance, I saw that. Yeah. Um, so in general you kind of see a more conservative influence happening. Whether that's Christian or not, we'll, we'll see. But once you've exhausted things like militant atheism, which has been exhausted, you don't have any legitimately militant atheists anymore. You don't have that yeah, as we, much as you did done. 10 years ago. Uh, their influence is gone. Uh, well, then what's next? You basically have the New Age movement. You have kind of a, a quasi-paganism 
you effectively have self-worship. Yes. That can only take you so far until it leads until it leads straight into the pits of despair because you realize this is as as Paul called it in Philippians 3 scubala. Yeah. <laughs> it's a steaming pile. Yeah. Right. Um this really isn't worth anything. Where do I go now? Oh, it just so happens that the triune God of the universe has provided those answers of what your purpose in life is. Here you go. Yeah. That actually leads it's a great response that begets me to I would real quick, go ahead. I would I would argue this might light a fire under some people. Some people might throw up in the floor over this. I think theoretically it is it is easier to convert someone who is not particularly politically engaged or liberal to Christianity than it is to convert someone who is on the right wing at it's, the moment. It's easier to convert someone who is way outside the faith and doesn't even who seems antagonistic to it? Yeah, I would expect that's true. Yeah, than than someone who's tangentially at least uh, sympathetic and there's some things that we believe quite familiar. Like, I think, yeah, I've come to a, a spot that evangelism would be easier if people weren't quite so quite familiar right. with what they they yeah. think they know. Yeah, they think they know the gospel. They think they know the message. Mm. I would rather try to evangelize somebody who is coming in with just a general idea. Yeah, I guess you people think. There's a guy who died and rose again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, let me expound on that for you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's true. And um, yeah, because there's also more despair. You have more pe- people want to be rescued from their despair. Mm-hmm. A, as as hyper individualism has increased, the amount of anxiety and drug usage in society in our society has ramped up. I'm not offended if you didn't read it, but I put a blog on coretruax.com about a month ago. Okay, a little bit more, and I think it was called. Who do we who do we blame for our? Uh, I forgot I forgot the title, and I don't put my blogs out on the podcast feed like you do. Right. But so sort of just went through the, the history. We, we demanded of Christianity an answer because it was in charge and it did some things wrong in the West. We demanded judgment. the The mm-hmm. culture demanded because Christianity was in charge of some things and did some things wrong. All right. Well, Christianity has not been the hegemonic power for forty years, mm-hmm. and I I would say definitely since. Obergefell was the new covenant. It was the the, the new covenant of the secular age where one covenant ended. And so now we're almost 10 years into complete hegemony from secularism. And I would argue our entire lives have primarily been under secularism. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, highest divorce rates, highest single parenthood, highest suicide rates. We are, we are awash in SSRIs. Our addiction rates are higher than ever. Your education system can't teach people, can't, can't, can't teach kids how to read and to do normal math, you actually have, people are underlooking this, a fairly large sexual assault and abuse problem in your public schools, the same that the Catholic Church had when you were blaming it for everything. Every measure, your art is ugly, your stories are boring, this is the culture in which you Not live. Not just your art that's ugly, your people are ugly too. The, the people are literally, get, yeah, because our, our obesity rates are higher than ever. Not that obesity necessarily means ugly, I'm just saying the we're not taking care, we're not taking care of ourselves. Yep. Secularism did this. Now, where do I go to make judgment? Because you guys judged us. Mm. Well, we, we did a bad job of it. I want to judge our secular priests. You, yep. have, you have ruined everything. And now that you have ruined everything, you do hope. Gosh, I pray. There are people that look for something else. Mm-hmm. God, that's a good point. I want to. I don't know who to go judge. I, I mean, I can't grab Richard Dawkins and put him on put him on trial. But right. I do want to say to secularism, you ruined everything. You ruined everything. Yeah. And I, mean, I didn't do it. Which I guess leads me to. I had one. That was it. I had one final thing I've been mulling over. 
I finished reading the fourth turning. Mm, yep. I or excuse me, the fourth turning is here, yep. which was the sequel yep. to the fourth turning. Yep. From that, I get ga- I gathered a lot, but one thing I gathered is there's never a way back. There's only a way through. Mm. So the I even the concept make America a great again, or you said make America godly again. Yeah. The idea of making anything happen again, I have abandoned. Yes. You, we never go back. Mm-hmm. We only go through. And so now that we're in, a he, the, the hegemony is paganism, secularism. The way through, is the way through calamity and destruction, and then after calamity and destruction, and I'll, I'll define that, mm-hmm. maybe a disastrous war for the mm-hmm. uh, an inter, international war for, um, in the Western world. Absolute financial collapse. Because we're built on ca- house of cards anyway, yep. with fake interest rates and fake money backed by nothing. Yep. Maybe real calamity financially. Yep. Maybe something in environmental or natural disaster because the, the Lord controls the earth, the heavens, and the seas. Mm-hmm. And then the world looks around after it's been rocked to its core and says, does anyone have anything to build on? Mm-hmm. And the church is there. Is the way through absolute destruction. I'll tell you this, a little spoiler alert, I don't want that. Right. I love my boys. They are right. 2019. I don't want them to live through destruction. I have. I look around in my church and I see a bunch of babies, absolute babies, children under five, five, five and under. I don't want their twenties to be in calamity. I don't right. want them to live through that. Right now, I don't have any control over it. Is that the way through? It has to be destruction and rebuilding, or is there a different way through? That is some kind of renewal, spiritual renewal. Mm, that's a great question. I think uh, it's kind of. Hmm. Maybe the way I would approach things in general with this, like regardless of whether it's calamitous or whether it's just societally calamitous, yes. right? Everybody kind of realizes at one one time we've gotten nowhere. Yes. Um, maybe a blending of what's often called the Benedict Option and the Boniface Option. Okay. The Benedict Option being our churches are going to meet. You can come hang out if you want. Come see what's going on. The Boniface Option being so as the tale of St. Boniface, I believe it was in the 800s goes, uh, he went, he was a missionary to the Germanic tribes and he went to Thor's tree. The legend, the myth of Thor's tree was if you touch Thor's tree, Thor will kill you. And he said, all right, tomorrow morning, I'm going to chop down this tree and prove to you that my God is bigger than Thor. Mm. The next morning he cut down the tree. He didn't die. And the entire village converted, which this is how we have Christmas trees. Huh? Cool. So yeah. So um, it's it's a. I think we need to blend those. Of yes, we're gonna do our thing over here, but also when we see the opportunity, say I'm gonna cut down your holy tree, and prove to you that the triune God is superior to your little G God, and you'll have to deal with that, right? Mm. And and that's not very hard right now. It's really easy to do. Thor's trees are very weak in this culture. Their roots are not deep. If anything, they're saplings. It's interesting. All you need is a bush hog at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Some some of these, you don't don't even need that. You just need a little push mower. (laughs) So for Boniface, in whatever culture that was, the Germanic tribes, Mm -hmm. it really was just a symbol of their local religion. Practically, yeah. The religion of our age... LGBTism. Mm-hmm. Are if the answer is yes, fine. But I, are we are we saying that 
tomorrow, I'm ripping down the pride flags. I don't know about that. Um, so, okay, so I don't want us to do that. Right. When Boniface uh, issued his challenge, they accepted the challenge for one. Okay. So if, in effect, they expected Thor to kill him. Okay. So as soon as he takes a swing with the axe, Thor kills him. Got it. Um, destruction of property is different. Good, good, good. Okay, so we're uh, there. I think the Boniface option could be as simple as, hey, look at this family. That's beautiful. Now look at Bruce Jenner. Yes. Seriously? And that's all you have to say. Okay. <laughs> look, now, at, look at the green-haired, bangs cut, you know, a centimeter and a half mm-hmm. <laughs> across the top of the forehead. You're telling me that you're happy. And I'm going to call BS on that. Yeah. Now that I'm all the way in. Yeah. Because I'm, I mean, I just went on my rant of, of what, how ugly the world is. Yeah. To, to say the broken families and the brains awash in SSRIs and the high addiction rates and suicide rates, you all did it. It's disgusting and it's ugly. Mm-hmm. And now I have something to offer you. Yep. Where men love sacrificially and they don't choose themselves. Yep. Where women honor their husbands and they raise little families together. Yes. And they, they go to work faithfully. They're not get, finding their meaning from their work. There's a better way. Mm-hmm. To quote Mandalorian here, this is the way. To, to, to <laughs> yeah. say to the world, you have found destructive paths. I know the way. Mm-hmm. This is the way. Follow here. Yep. That's more of a Boniface thing? To an extent, yeah. Okay. Uh, the Boniface option is often associated with being a tad more blunt. Okay. Of I'm going to come in and destroy your idol. Yeah, and th- even when you said it, you might know of me. I was not comfortable with that. Right, you're not a confrontational guy. I don't like it. Yeah, and and it's not just that I don't like it. It is also that I, um, I I find it until it's necessary. I find it unproductive and ineffective. And often it is. The and also the the people who like conflict are often the worst at it. That's I, also true. I, I will I'll say of me now. Now I'm married. We don't fight much. Actually, I don't even know. If we, I don't really know if we have in ten months of marriage. We've had some conflict, but I've never caught a fight. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm. I'll say of me. I hate conflict. I'm really good at it. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at hearing what's going on because I don't get clouded by emotion. Yep. Same here. In saying, all right, I, I I understand what we're actually talking about here, and I know a way forward. I actually know what I did, what I shouldn't have done or shouldn't have said. I I got it. I can do this. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the people that want to fight are looking to mow stuff down and burn it to the ground. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to fight for the burning down part. Right. I, I, I want conflict to create something new and good. Yes. And beautiful. So if, if that's the Boniface way, I need to read more about that. I've, yeah. I'm very familiar with the Benedict Option. Yeah. Very familiar. I, I read the book. Um, and that, I, I don't know, there's, there's to me, there's some real value in the Benedict option for mm-hmm. this reason in particular in our day. I don't know if we're, I don't know if we're going to get there, but it feels like the financial system is eventually going to start shutting you out mm. as a business owner. Yeah. That yeah. if you don't affirm certain things, you might not have access to banking. I'm actually less sold on that right now. Good. Because, Good. because you've seen uh, repeatedly, even over just the last year, more and more, Companies, including Fortune 500 and Fortune 100 companies, scale back their DEI stuff. They have, yeah, I've seen yeah. that. I need to see 
more than that, I want to be encouraged by that. Um, Benedict option is being, we need our own Christian option for everything. Sure. That we, we have our own banking infrastructure. We have our own transportation infrastructure when, when you're told you can't participate anymore. Um, okay. You know, you know what I would say? Yeah. So with this Boniface option, it can be very simple. I would also apply the scripture of not many of you should be teachers. Not many of you should be internet apologists. Amen. So we need to learn how to do these things in our own ways. There are some people who their Boniface option is literally, hey, I took this great trip to the mountains with my family. Here's pictures of it. That, that is a way of exercising the Boniface option because that <laughs> tears down idols. Right? It's, this is beautiful. Look at it. It's amazing. Thank God for it. Some of us who have platforms, small or large, yeah. are in positions with the ability to wisely and responsibly tear down those idols, whether it's transgenderism or Trumpism mm-hmm. or, and yes, I did lump those together. Good. Uh, and I don't, by that mean supporting Trump, I mean Trumpism. I there is a difference. Yes. Um, there are some of us who can be more public about that responsibly. Not everybody needs to start a podcast. Not everybody needs to start a blog. <laughs> Amen. Said by two guys who have podcasts and blogs. <laughs> but, okay, but also two guys who have been doing it since we were ch- kids, basically. Yeah. I mean, you had a column in a newspaper when you were, 18 or 19 years old. Yeah, we, probably shouldn't have, but we, it gave me practice. But we made mistakes and learned how to yeah. learned how to do I, it better. I had, when I was 16 for Christmas, part of my present was a Rush 24-7 membership. I recall this, yeah. Yeah, and like, it's like I've, I've been doing the thing yeah. for a while. I've been screwing up the thing for a long time, too. Same. Uh, but we have the experience. We didn't just get red-pilled all of a sudden. Oh, gosh. Now we want to burn the world down. Like Example here. We already we have too many mm-hmm. po- podcasts and speakers. Yep. Like Stephen Crowder should never get another second from any of you. Mm. And when you have his his general ad, his general attitude and demeanor, you're never going to be effective for anything. You're yep. only destructive. Not to mention what he's done with his wife, and there's all kinds of reasons not to yeah, listen to that seriously. guy any, anymore. We don't need a lot of that, but we do need. I, I love the regular apologetics of just. Uh, my, my wife has has said this about our church. She's never been around a room of men that just seem to adore their wives and wives that seem to adore their husbands. Yep. That doesn't happen anymore. You want to do something that's incredibly apologetic and grows the kingdom? Go to work and say something nice about your spouse. Whew. In a Ooh, that's in, spicy. In a room in a room for so many people, but it's it's it, in in reality, it's about as spicy as Duke's mayonnaise. Yes. It, it should, should <laughs> that's a pretty good one. <laughs> it shouldn't be. Yeah. But in a in a world that is so uh, negative about marriage, just love your marriage and pump it up like crazy. Yeah. When people are, su- it's a world super down about kids. M- when you have the opportunity, brag on your kids in a non-obnoxious way. Thank yeah. the Lord for their development and their health and that you are glad you get to go on vacation with them. You're yes. not, I, I hear people sometimes, I mean, those vacations were so much better and we didn't have kids. They don't say that stuff. Yeah. We, 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 we yeah. love kids. We love our marriages. Just that, that kind of stuff is small ball, um, it's there's a baseball thing here yeah. where you don't need home runs and yeah. you. I, it's a different philosophy of offense. Yeah. But we just yeah. small ball our move way. Move the runner over there. Yeah, just move the runner. Yep. 
and that is so those are small things. Yeah, there there are absolutely times where a three run home run is you never argue with a three run. <laughs> no, right, sounds great. <laughs> you never argue with hitting a grand slam or whatever, or you know someone like Ronald Acuna Jr. leads off the game with a dinger. Cool, but there's also times where just get accept the bleeder between mm-hmm. first and second base that gets you on, and then the next guy who also hits a single, and then the next guy actually drives in a run. Like the little the little things all add up, including the pitcher throwing strikes. Yeah, like not every strike is a strike out, but you do need the strikes. You do need the strikes. You need to fill up the zone. Oh, and man, th- we're just running with this baseball and, and, and it's actually a really good one so what what yeah. pitches do you need to be throwing become an well, expert on what well, your, what's the, the situation yes yeah. yeah what what's it oh yeah no, knowing what time where, where you live when, when and where you live in your the strikes you throw or I'm, I'm gonna be an expert on what the bible's called me to be as a man or a woman i need yeah. to get become an expert on what the bible's called me to be as a husband or wife or a or a citizen i'm gonna mm-hmm. get into those things and i want to act them out yep and on top of that, I'm going to know what kind of player I am. What my role is. What my role is. There are some guys who who run slowly, and they hit the ball 450 feet every now and then. There are some guys who weigh 180 pounds soaking wet, and they slap the ball around, and they get on base for the guy who can hit the ball 450 feet. Get him home, yeah. Know what your role is. like, And, and that's where the, the podcast that we just recorded, we talked about spiritual giftedness and how that's recognized by the church. So you need people around you who will who will inform you, hey, I see this in you. Yes. And some of us will be informed, hey, maybe you need to take a step back on social media. Yeah. Maybe you need to not have a podcast and you need to listen to them. And then get better at it. Maybe, maybe you'll have that yeah, maybe later. You refine the, maybe you refine the craft and then yeah. you get better at it and then they say, oh yeah, let's run with that. It's good. Yeah, we uh, we're probably up against that hour, but we are sure we, we at least reconcile some things in my own head about being an exile and also expecting to win. Yeah, so that's band. Good. Thanks, Both man. Band. That's we're, good stuff. To finish the baseball analogy, we're not going to lose a hundred games every year. No, sir. That's <laughs> the, has anyone lost hundred games this year already? Uh, I believe the Oakland A's have. That's, they have been putrid. Maybe the Kansas City Royals as well, if I remember correctly. But if they haven't yet, they will. Um, you can uh, just some uh, some social media stuff. You can find me Corey Truax, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads. Also Corey Truax Show at Gmail dot com. Corey Truax Show at Gmail dot com. Or go read that blog I wrote at Corey Truax dot com. Yeah. And for me, WestminsterEffects dot com. You can subscribe to the Westminster Effects Doxology podcast wherever you find podcasts, which also includes YouTube now. Uh, you can also find my blog that I write occasionally at codyfields.com. And I also do the audio version on my podcast feed yes. as normal. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Nothing else. I don't think I don't we'll, know. we'll do it again next month. Else. Maybe. Yeah. Let's hope.